Um, I want to talk to you uh, about a guy named Gideon. Uh, the, the kids have been learning about Gideon, and I had about 16 different people to choose from that were asked to do something impossible. And they came through. I mean, it could have been Moses we looked at. Could have been the Apostle Paul. Could have been Peter. Could have been any number of, uh, of Sarah. Sarah was asked to have a baby at 90 years old. I mean, everything that God asks you to do will always be beyond what you can do. That's so that you need him. So I want to talk to you. Uh, the, the kids are learning about Gideon this, uh, 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 these few weeks here. They're going through the book of Judges, and that's who I want to talk about this morning. Go back to Philippians chapter 4, and I hope you're memorizing it. Just by default, you ought to really work at memorizing the scriptures because you'll need them. And this is one of those scriptures that can really encourage you. We learned last week that it's not that you can do anything you want. This is not you saying, I can become rich, or I can uh, walk on water, I can do whatever I feel like I can do. No, it's whatever God asks you to do, you can do all those things because Christ strengthens you to do His will. So, let's stand and let's just say this one verse together real quick, and then we'll get started. Philippians chapter 4, say it with me real loud, will you? Begin. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Father, bless these thoughts. Help us from your word to live differently, to live um, beyond ourselves, God, not, not according to how we can. Uh, forget, help us to forget about our limitations here this morning and just focus on Jesus. And I pray you'd encourage your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, we're in the book of Judges. You need to go back to Judges chapter 6. After the first five books of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, are a couple of more books leading up to the book of Judges. You got Joshua, then come Judges. And um, uh, we're going to focus our attention on one man, Gideon. I kind of like this picture here somebody drew. And um, in, in, this, in this portion of Scripture we're going to look at, and, and it's amazing to me how much is covered in just a page of the Bible, how much truth is there. And, and God gave us a, a Bible to just saturate our lives with, and we never will master it. We'll never just walk away going, I got it, I figured it out. No, it is so rich, I have to cut out stuff that I would love to say to you this morning. I just want to get right to the point. There is at least another two or three hours just in this one chapter that we could talk about. So you have to last, wait for someone else or another time where I can point out something. But there are two big lessons in this portion of Scripture, Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. And one is God teaches how to overcome fear. And it's not like God just zaps you and all of a sudden you're not afraid anymore. It's not like God just sort of just takes away all of our problems. No, he overcomes our fears in a specific way, and it works for everyone. It doesn't just work back on the Old Testament or just back in the Bible times. First, how to overcome fear, and secondly, how God can make a great people out of the likes of nobodies, like you and me. That God takes nothing and makes everything. How God takes the, the, the broken and makes something that is beautiful. So, now i got to say something. No matter what you've been taught, and this, the prosperity uh, gospel and all of the modern self-help books all say that you're awesome. You're incredible. You're unstoppable. Well, i got news for you, not according to the Bible. The Bible says you are woefully inadequate. <laughs> you're a mess. But according to the Bible, that's perfectly okay. You see, the truth is you don't have what it takes to become a Christian. 
you need Christ to become a Christian. Does that make sense? You don't have what it takes even to be like Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit to help you be like Jesus. You don't have what it takes to live in victory. You say, well, I put down fags years ago. Good, but I bet you picked up four other things that were a bad habit. We're, we're just, we're a mess. You, you don't have what it takes to live in victory. You are weak, like me, broken, messed up, scarred, and inadequate, and that's okay, because that's what and who God uses. So, uh, did you know the hero of the Bible, whether you're looking at Moses, or you're looking at David, or you're looking at Gideon, is never Moses, David, or Gideon. Who's the hero of the Bible? It's God, Jesus. So when we look at these people and we see something fantastic about them, it's not them. And if there's any good that happens in your, my life, your life, it's not me. It's Christ in me. So um, God has never needed my strength. He's never needed my opinion. <laughs> He's never needed my, uh, um, uh, my money. He's never needed my wisdom. God never needed anything to do what he needed done. He just needed me to trust him, to yield to him, and to believe him. So this is, to do what God, or God asks you to do, you must do two things, okay? If you get these two things, you will learn the lesson of Gideon. Number one, overcome fear. So if you're ever going to do what God asks you to do, whether it is to be a Sunday school teacher or to stay married, <laughs> whether it is to uh, um, uh, endure through uh, raising kids or whether it is staying on the job, Whatever God asks you to do, you're going to have to overcome fear because fear will always just, just stop us dead. Your, 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 your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors will, will, will say things, do things to scare you. And it's not them, it's the spirit behind them to shut you down. So you're going to have to overcome fear. And secondly, you're going to have to overcome confidence. <laughs> like two little contrasts there. All right, I just got rid of uh, fear. Now I'm ready to go. And the Lord says, now get rid of the confidence. <laughs> so. And that's going to be more next week. So let me talk to you. Go back to chapter 2 in Judges and give you a little bit of background. It's really important here. Judges chapter 2, verse 11. And you'll see this over and over in the book of Judges, this phrase. Judges chapter 2, verse 11. The children of Israel. These were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served Balaam. Now, Balaam was a, uh, uh, was a devil. That was the devil. And they forsook the Lord. They abandoned the God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods of the gods of the people that were around about them. And they bowed themselves unto them. They, they honored them. They obeyed them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. So verse 13, and they forsook the Lord. And they served Baal and Ashtaroth. Now go to chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. Judges 17 sort of summarizes all of the book of Judges. Judges 17 and verse 6. <clears throat> in those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, that's very, um, uh, that's very revealing because that's the attitude still of today. Wouldn't you agree? Most everybody's doing whatever they think ought to be done. They live by their opinions. They live by what their friends say or what, what Facebook says should be done or whatever. Go one more. Now, go back to Genesis, uh, sorry, Judges chapter 6. 
And when we get here, I want you to see that Israel has settled in the promised land. They've gone about 200 years into the promised land. And instead of living by faith and living in the liberty of faith and walking in God's laws, they're stuck. They're stuck in a vicious cycle. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says later on, it says the children of Israel did evil, as if to say again in the sight of the Lord. And now the Lord delivers them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Verse 2, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them dens, that's caves, which are in the mountains, and caves and strongholds. So where are they living? In holes in the side of hills. They're living in caves. Verse 3, and so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up when they had planted, that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them. So this army just comes and attacks them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou comest, come unto Gaza and left no sustenance, left no food for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass, or donkey. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. So every couple of months, the Midianites would come in and just take everything and leave nothing. Verse 6, and Israel was greatly impoverished. They lost everything because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried in the Lord. So Israel's in their promised land. But over these about 400 years from the time that Moses and Joshua bring them into the promised land, they keep going through a cycle of God blessing them. And then boredom takes over. And they kind of get bored and they look around at the other nations and they go, oh, that looks like an exciting God. Oh, that looks like an interesting idol. Oh, that looks like a great place to go to church. Oh, that looks more fun. Oh, that's a little more exciting. And they started ex experimenting with other gods and other idols. And so God begins to bring trouble into their homes and into their lives. The people took a nosedive, spiritually, physically, emotionally. They took a nosedive and they hit rock bottom under the judgment of God. And they begin at, that, at the bottom, usually isn't the case. When you're at the bottom, you cry out for help to God. And you'll see that here. And they ask for a deliverer. And so God sends them a deliverer, a judge, a mediator who would lead them back to God. And then God would bless them and the cycle would start all over again. It's a crazy cycle. In chapter 6, we have, the, we, have an, uh, we have the God explaining what the problem is. And the problem was idolatry. Um, uh, there was a sin in every home in the nation of Israel. They were basically doing everything that was in their own eyes, that was right in their own eyes. Now when you think of that, what does it mean to do that which is right in your own eyes? Well, it simply means that you decide what is right or wrong based on your own opinion. Is. Can you imagine if you ask your nine-year-old, how old are you, Brendan? Eight. All right, I was close. All right. Let's all say, Darren says to uh, Brendan, Brendan, what are we supposed to do today? And Brendan says, uh, dig holes, okay, or sleep all day. Okay, so that's, that's the attitude of the, of the Israelites was, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. It's like self-help. You ever meet people who basically self-help means you eat only the food you like. That's not a very healthy diet. And you only do what you feel like doing. It'd be like entering your tax information at the end of the year with bad data. Make up the numbers at the end of the year. Guess what? The tax man will catch up with you. <laughs> 
So Israel was deciding their own morals, deciding what truths they wanted to believe. And uh, what everyone else was, was believing is what they would believe. And that led them away from God to this sin of idolatry. Now, the specific sin of idolatry is, is very simple, right? Idolatry is you replacing God with something. That's what idolatry is. So I don't have any statues in my home that I bow downtown, down to. I, a statue doesn't mean you have an idol in your home. If you have anything that you've replaced God with, if something has the present, the place where God deserves, that is an idol. It could be a person, it could be an event, it could be money. Anything that we replace God with is an idol. And we still have idolatry today. Um, it only ruins a life. Idolatry has never blessed anybody. As a matter of fact, God curses idolatry and says, if you replace God in your home, if God starts off being somebody that's important and your kids are watching, you go to church every week, and then all of a sudden you replace God with something else, whether it's a second job or whether it's just going on, going on holidays and every weekend or whatever, um, and you got to take a break. I understand that. But if you are replacing God, your kids will see it, and the curse will pass down to the third and fourth generation. You say, why aren't my kids in church? It's our fault. That's why. Because we replaced God with a thing. Now, the entire nation of Israel was troubled. There was an outside enemy, the Midianites, who were ruining their lives. Now, the Midianites, they were a tiny, a puny little nation next to Israel that should never have posed any problem. I mean, it's like, it's like uh, you're, you're six foot seven and a little three foot nine, 10 year old comes up to you and says, I'm going to take you on. You just say, get away from me, kid. You wouldn't be bothered by him. But the Midianites, because Israel was away from God and God was back away from Israel, the Midianites were able to come and ruin their lives. And so the entire nation of Israel was under, under great stress. They were like bullies taking everything that Israel had worked for, leaving them with nothing but poverty and sorrow. And resulted in the people living in fear. They were living in holes. They had no hope. And how long? Did you notice how long it was? It says, uh, where were they? Uh, it says for seven years. I can't remember where I left off there. Um, greatly impoverished. I thought they had it. Anyway, somewhere in there it says for seven years. Oh, verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them in the hand of Midian for seven years. You know, that's, uh, that's kind of amazing to me that people take so long to finally go, okay, God, I need you. Why didn't you say that first day? Can you imagine if you're driving with your husband, ladies, and I'm sure you, you, you've experienced something like this. He's driving along, and the car breaks down. They just sit there in the car. You're going to call AA? No. I'll figure this out. And an hour passes, two hours passes, and so you pull out a book to read, three hours passes, but he won't call the AA. Would that, would that upset you? Of course it would. You'd go, why don't you just call the AA? Why don't you just call somebody to come out? Well, that's what Israel was doing. They were just sitting there, and they would not humble themselves. They would not cry out to help for seven years. I think of Jonah. Jonah's one of the most stubborn men in the Bible. He was a, he was a believer. He's just as saved as you and me. And when he gets swallowed by the whale, how long does it take before he prays? And he says, okay, God, you win. How long? Three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. 
he is sitting there in hydrochloric acid. His skin is being burned off. He is in agony, but he will not talk to God. That's stubbornness. I always wonder, why? Well, these Israelites waited seven years before they got right. But look at verse 7. I want you to see they finally cry out on the Lord for help. Look at verse 6. It says, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. The children of Israel cried on the Lord. That's a good thing. But there's a very important thing, a thought I want you to see. Verse 7, all right? Before God can send help to the Midianites, he has to give them help against themselves. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 7. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a, circle that next word, a prophet. He sent unto them a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I brought you forth out of the house of bondage. Now this is kind of unusual because God sends an unmanned man of God. It'd be like you, again, your car is broken down, and you call the garage. Say you call your garage, or just down the street from you, you call him, and he sends a teacher with a blackboard or a whiteboard now, okay? And the teacher stands outside of your car and says, uh, Mr. Ledbetter, I need to talk to you for a minute. Point number one, say, I, I want my car fixed. I know, but you need a lesson. So instead of God sending a Samson or a King David or a, or a, a mighty deliverer, God sends a preacher. And there are more times where you come to church and you're saying, God, I've been praying for weeks. God, I've been struggling for years. God, I've been asking for help. Ugh, and I'm sitting here in church. This is where you'll get your first help. Because this is where you get delivered first from yourself before God delivers you from your outside problem. Your first problem is inside, amen? Your first problem is us. So here, God sends a prophet. That man of God reminded the people how God had been with them. Again, look at verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, in the middle of verse 8, the God of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. I blessed you. I brought you forth out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all that oppressed you. Remember? Remember, I freed you from all that oppression, and I drave them out from before you, and I gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose lands ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. He reminded him that, them that I'm your God. Those gods of the Midianites, those gods of the Amorites, those gods of, of uh, the Hittites and the flashlights, those aren't God. I'm your God, he says. That preacher began to tell them, you don't ever need to fear any God. You don't have to have fear uh, or worship or in awe of anything. And believe me, growing up today, the, the awe to watch television, to watch uh, these movies, the Avengers and stuff. You think Thor is real. You think Iron Man is real. Kids grow up with that mindset of awe of Disney and awe of Marvel. God says, don't be in awe of anybody but me. And that prophet up there really took him down notches and says, out of all of the things I've done for you, you never took me seriously. You're too proud to stay close to me. Therefore, all of this has happened to you because of yourselves. You did not obey my voice. So God sent what the people did not expect. But he sent what they needed first. And what they needed first was a man of God. Don't ever take church for granted. The Sunday you miss 
I know we got, you can watch it on YouTube later on. We record all these things, but you probably won't. You'll be too busy to be able to even go back and listen to the message. But the Sunday you miss will generally be the one you needed most. That's what I found. Because God gives you somebody who will stand up and tell you what is right and what is true so that God can help you with what is big and what is bad in your life tomorrow. So, um, uh, let me move on. It is then, after we have uh, uh, had the man of God preach and we've responded and we say, okay, all right, you've humbled me, good. It is at that point that God begins to turn the whole situation around like he does for Gideon. So now we come to Gideon, go, go look back at verse 11. We're going to introduce, get introduced to Gideon here. And he's a young man in Israel. Look at verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, not Winfrey, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midians, from the Midianites. Now here's a young man in Israel. He, um, uh, he's hiding from the Midianites. He's trying hard to hold on to some of the crops for food. He's got a, 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 a what you call a, um, uh, these stalks of, of wheat. And he's, he's trying to separate the wheat from the, from the husk and the chaff so they can make bread. Now, I don't know if you've ever made homemade bread and accidentally had a lot of chaff in it or husks. It's not very enjoyable. So what they normally would do is they'd get up on a hill somewhere and they'd take this sheep, which, which uh, you know, looked like the uh, old-style broom, where up at the top are all of the kernels of, of uh, wheat there on the top of the, the stalks there, and they would beat that against a, a rock. And as they did, there's a stiff breeze, hopefully you're hoping for a stiff breeze, that as it separated, the kernels would fall to the ground and the wheat chaff, the chaff itself, would blow away. But he's not anywhere where there's wind, he's actually in a hole. So the, the bread that night was not going to be very enjoyable. It's just, you only have, you have to have made bread to understand his dilemma but he's trying his best to hold on. He doesn't want a Midianite to come by and see him making his own wheat to grind, to make bread, and they take it from him. So he's hiding from them. He's very discouraged after hearing that prophet preach. Nobody likes somebody saying, you're in the mess that you're in because of you. Nobody, can you imagine? Now most doctors have learned to be very gentle in their discussion. They see somebody whose health is bad and they look at you and go, yeah, it's because you're smoking. <laughs> I mean, doctors have been told not to say that. Now, some doctors, I appreciate, actually tell you like it is, like this man of God. Nobody likes it, but he's discouraged. He's not like, yes, let's go face these Midianites. No, he's discouraged, and he thinks there's nothing that he can do, and that's what I want to flip around. You see, when you think that there's nothing you can do, when, when, when you're just, just eking out a little bit of life, God speaks to your heart. So, look, in, look there in, in verse 1. Again, I want to show you something. Because I want to, sh want to show you that God asks Gideon to open his eyes. And see what God sees. Now, start off there in, uh, I'm going to start in verse 11. Just start in 11. What Gideon saw, number one. All right. The first thing, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak, which was at Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abbezir, Abbez, right? Abbezrite, 
and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now that's got to be the craziest bit of humor in the Bible. Because if you looked at Gideon, and when Gideon looked at himself in the mirror, you know what he saw? A terrified young man. Gideon saw weakness in his life, poverty. He saw nothing but limitations and inabilities. He saw problems and troubles, pressure, stress. He saw only failure in his life. And what was worse, he was, uh, uh, you'll, you'll see in just a moment, he was confused about everything that's going on because the angel's going to say things that don't make a lick of sense. And then most of all, he was stuck. He was absolutely stuck. Now, we often think that God uses these kind of heroes. That when, 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 when God sends an angel to Gideon, Gideon's ready to go. His armor is shiny, sword in the hand, faith to the, to the, to the mountain. He's ready. That's not who God talked to. God talked to this guy. Somebody who's hiding, somebody who is weak and, 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 and has no money, has nothing to offer God. God says, just what I want. Just what I want. Because God could see the Lord is on his side. Go back to verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, The Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. See, this angel says some of the most wild things to Gideon. The Lord is on your side. You're a mighty man of valor. You're a strong man, full of courage and bravery. Now, I guarantee you, Gideon's going, who are you talking to? And then God says this. Look at verse uh, 13. Well, go to, go to verse 14. The Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might. Now, Gideon's looking around going, I think I got the wrong guy. I don't have any might. He says, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel. From the hand of the Midianites, have not I sent thee? Now, one of the most beautiful things is to see that what doesn't make sense to us makes perfect sense to God. God sees somebody who has absolutely no abilities, and God says, you know, with me on your side, and with me making you mighty, remember, what's our memory verse, Brendan? I can. All right, so. Where do you think Gideon is going to be made mighty? Where is he going to get that strength? From Christ who strengthens us. He's going to become a man full of courage and bravery. God could see what Gideon could be and what Gideon was going to be. He says, you can save the nation of Israel. You can actually, you, by yourself. I want you to see something. Let me show you this. Look at this. Uh, look at verse 15, and he's, uh, no, 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 no. Verse 16, and the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as how many men did he need? He says, all that is needed to defeat the Midianites is just you. Now, I guarantee you, Gideon didn't go, I believe you. <laughs> he's going to have to be convinced, and that's okay. But you got to see something here that's really humorous, all right? This is our reality, and aren't you glad that there is a better reality? We don't make these things up. We don't just envision what we want God to do. We find out what God wants to do, and then we trust him that we can do it. Through all of this, God sees our potential. You know where most money is made? 
in convincing people to do things they aren't, they think they can't be. So they send them to college or they send them to trade schools. It's convincing them, it's preparing them to do what they feel they can't do. Money is made off of getting people, a lot of money is made, to, to do more than they think they can do. And some of that's not bad, but I'm telling you, that's the work of God in the life of the Christian. That, Lord, I'm, I'm constantly convinced I'm limited, I'm defeated, I'm, I'm boxed in, I'm stuck. And the Lord steps in and says, I see a man of faith, I see a man of valor, I see a man of courage, I see a man of bravery, I see a man of success in the battle. So God asks, and over and over says to, me, says to Gideon, open your eyes, bud, see what I see. And then God makes two promises to Gideon. Go back to uh, verse uh, 16. The Lord said to him, surely I will be with thee. So I'm going to be with you. And then secondly, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man, you will win the battle. And if it's just you, Gideon, it'll be enough. This is absolutely overwhelming to Gideon because Gideon can't believe that, that, that God would actually promise such a thing. Uh, look back in verse 13. Gideon begins to argue with him, and Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? Why has all this happened to us? And where be all of God's miracles, which our fathers told us of? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Verse 15. And here's Gideon continue to talk. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least of my father's house. Now, Gideon is actually saying, I, I, nobody listens to me. I'm the least important in my house. My brothers, sisters, they're all older than me. My parents, they don't listen to me. My neighbors, they don't listen to us because we're the least family, we're the poorest family in our area. Nobody's going to listen to me. Gideon puts up all of his arguments. He's very confused, wouldn't you agree? He says, well, where has God been all this time? God doesn't seem to be working for us. He seems to be working against us. But the truth is this. God makes some promises to us. If God says, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to make, you, I'm going to make it possible for you to win, it should be enough. If God promises that. If we have the promises of God, can we not start to believe them? That's the goal this month. Uh, let's go to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Matthew 28 verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of might. That's a lot of strength. Wouldn't you agree? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach. That's a lot of nations. Teach everybody. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. That's a lot of truth. Whatsoever commanded you. And lo, guess what? I'll be with you always. Wow, isn't that the first one? I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 and verse 31. When we're out on the street and we're handing out gospel tracts, we're talking to people, 
asking him, you believe in God, don't you? And then they stop, and they go, yeah. And all of a sudden, you're going through your testimony, you're giving the gospel out. Who's actually helping us do that? It's the Lord. It's just, it's just, it's amazing. I've been so many times talking to somebody, and they'll ask a question, they'll go down some rabbit trail, and all of a sudden I have an answer, and I'll go, how did I know that? <laughs> Where'd that come from? Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. We learn this one. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who's going to be against us? Who's going to stop us? Uh, go back, uh, go down to verse 37. I remember your verse a couple months ago. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, to the right a few pages. 1 Corinthians 15 and 57. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and move. I'm sorry, I'm looking for 58, verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. Here's our words, through our Lord Jesus Christ. One more, 2 Corinthians now, to the right. I know I'm rushing, but stay with me. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. <clears throat> now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. Isn't that a wonderful word? In Christ, ah, it's not, well, I'm going to be a winner. I'm going to go quickly get my Euro millions. I'm going to sign up for the lottery. No, that's not what it's saying. The Bible says he always causes us to triumph in Christ, in Christ's power, in Christ's will. It makes manifest, makes it apparent the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. So we got to go back. I'm going to make two other things here. Back to Judges 6. And I'll show you something that is very prevalent among Christians. It was prevalent with Mr. Gideon. That was, he was prone to blame God. Judges chapter 6 and verse 13. Gideon said back unto him to this angel. Again, the previous verse says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, uh, uh, One question. <laughs> oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? If you're a good God, why are bad things happening to us? That's what he's saying. And where be all his miracles? What did he do with them? Which our fathers told us of. We heard about these things, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now, wow, look at this. The Lord hath forsaken us, and he's delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. What is Gideon doing? He's blaming God. To Gideon, God was to blame for all their problems. He said, you know, God took away his miracles. God is not doing anything for us. He's actually turned us over to the Midianites. And all he's doing is blaming God. Now, this is very important because if you get nothing else, this is one of the big things of this message. All the, to, to Gideon, all the troubles in their life were God's fault. Why would God allow all these troubles in our life? But Gideon was completely wrong on every point. Don't ever misunderstand what you're going through. Sickness, been laid off, going through a separation, battling depression, got more bills than you got money coming in, persecuted at work, at school, dumped by your friends. Maybe you're just a constant failure as a mom or a dad, a husband or a wife. Don't misunderstand what you're going through because most of what we bring upon ourselves is our own fault. That's the truth. It's not God doing something to us. It's what we did to ourselves. If I, listen, it, 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 when I was a kid, I was about 
oh, I don't know, must have been about uh, third class. And uh, we were learning about all kinds of things. We were, we were learning about deaf, and so we, um, uh, we had to wear these big um, uh, ear, earphones on our head so we couldn't hear anybody talking to us. And we were learning about deafness and how hard it was to read lips and stuff like this. And then one day we were learning about being blind. And so we had to wear a mask over our face. We were going around the classroom trying to find our pencils, trying to figure out where our seats were. It was really fantastic. Well, I kind of took the, the, uh, the lesson a little bit too far, and I kept my eyes shut when it came time for recess. So the bell rang, and we started, I'm finding my way out. I find the door going outside of the, uh, the school. And so the, I push the door open. Everybody's already passed. They're already outside. So I start running outside, and I'm keeping my eyes closed. Bang! I run into the flagpole. Who's to blame for running into the flagpole? Well, that, nobody should have put that pole in, the, in my way. That's how we feel. That's what's wrong with this world. The world looks at us and says, you shouldn't offend me. This is your fault. That is, that is a blame mentality we have today when we bring our own trouble on ourselves usually. So when we have, and don't you deny that you wake up and the trouble just piles on and piles on and how you feel is, God, why are you doing this to me? Tell me you haven't felt that. Humble yourself. What God asks of Gideon, what God asks of us is that whatever you find is offensive to God, repent. Remember, what had they done when, after seven years? What was Israel now doing? They were crying unto God. What weren't they? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing. But they weren't asking God to forgive them. They were just saying, get us out of this trouble. There are plenty of people in this church who have a habit of when they hit rock bottom, they pray. And that's the only time they pray. And that's not the time where God just immediately comes in and fixes. What God needs is for us to stop and go, my fault. I'm sorry. I'm to blame. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to blame anyone else. The best thing that, that can happen is that when you stop seeing all of the trouble as being from God and all the trouble being our responsibility, that's when God says, now I can make you strong. Now I can, I can create bravery in you. Now I can do something through you. Because when we, when, when we examine our heart, when we humble ourselves, God then says, now I can bless you. God cannot bless or use a proud man. God cannot bless or use a proud woman. God refuses to. So when all the stuff is piling on, here's the little indicator light on the dashboard of your life going, repent, repent. Wouldn't that be a good blinker in your car? Somebody needs to invent that in a Christian car, in a Christian's car. There's no Christian cars. But in a Christian's car, just every once in a while it just goes up. Do you need to repent? Oh, boy. Because that's when God will start to bring you out of that trouble that you got yourself into. Now, verse 14, I like how here comes the angel. The angel uh, of the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. You've got strength now. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? What a crazy, look at verse 15. And he said unto him, Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Wait a minute, surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites 
as one man. Now this gets good because I said at the beginning, don't forget, you are completely inadequate. Gideon looks and says, I don't have what it takes. Notice what's missing in, in, in this whole thing. Does anybody see Gideon with a fast horse right at his side? A white stallion. Is that what, does Gideon have that? No. Do you find a mighty weapon in his hand? No. Do you see a massive army already gathered behind him, ready to follow him into battle? Who's there? Just Gideon and God. So we are so materialistic. What does that mean? We're addicted to things. We think we have to have a building to have church. We don't, do we? We think we have to have the approval of the world to be a gospel witness. I was told many times in different jobs, you can't witness on the job. I've been told that. And you know what? That was a lie. What they meant was I could not witness while I was working. But when I was on break, out came the tracks. And when everybody else is talking about what they did on the weekend, I get to talk about what I did on the weekend. You can witness on the job. You do not need permission to be a Christian. Amen? We're addicted to people's approval. We're addicted to walls. We think, now we have a church. No, we always had a church. It's us. We just have our own building, which is a great gift. Amen? But we're so materialistic. So was Gideon. Gideon's looking around saying, I don't have a weapon. I don't have a horse. I don't have an army. I, I need all these things. Don't I, God? What did God say? No, you just need me. Ignore what you don't have. <clears throat> God teaches Gideon what he already had from God. From that moment that the angel spoke to him, he had God's call. He had, and I'm telling you, you ought to read your Bible. If I, could, if I could change the way you read your Bible, you need to read your Bible like God's talking to you. Not, not everything is written for you, but l sit and listen. That's not time. If I'm kind of tired or whatever, I read my Bible out loud. Anybody else do that? Because your, your mind begins to wander. But when you read it out loud, you're listening to it, hearing it, and you're letting God speak to you. And listen, as you're reading, it'll be, it'll be like, like nothing you've ever experienced where all of a sudden a scripture jumps out you and says, that's for you, Craig. You see, when you've got God's word speaking to you, you're unstoppable. When I was unsaved, when I was invited out to, to church, this woman gave me the gospel, read John 3.16 to me, read out of the gospel track. I didn't understand or listen to one word she said. The only thing that got my attention was when she said, God wants you. That blew my eyes. I said, what do you mean God wants me? God loves you, wants you, wants to save you. Why don't you come out to church and hear somebody preach it and teach the Bible? And I went. And as I sat down with my first Bible, uh, listening to the, to the scriptures, time after time, I'm listening to that man of God preach and plead and beg that sinners would repent. It took eight weeks before I realized, oh, he's talking to me. And it's on a Sunday night, I says, I'll get saved tonight. Well, it took a fight, but an argument. But the point being this, when you let God call you, when I realized Christ was saying, come unto me, you, Craig, that's when I said, okay, I'll get saved. Too many people are listening to Craig Ledbetter right now. Don't listen to me. Listen to God's word. 
What Gideon had at that moment was God's calling. I'm going to use you, Gideon. He had God's might and power. Look up there in verse, where did we read there? I'm looking where he says, go in, oh yes, verse 14. And the Lord said unto him, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? It's like a rebuke saying, I called you. Haven't I, listen, I gave you this job to do, and I'm going to make sure you can do it. You have God's might and power. You have God's promises. We've already looked at them. You have God's presence, which is probably more important than anything else. If I get nothing else from God, to have God with me in my heart, how come I don't hear him? Because you're too loud. Because you're too dominant. Because you don't have times where you're just quiet. If you can't just sit still without turning on your phone, without listening to some music, or without turning on 96FM, if you don't have times where you're just quiet and you talk to God, you will never hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And if you could just sense God's with me, it's going to be okay. And that's enough. None of this, none of this was physical. None of this was even emotional. It was all God. It was enough. You know, it doesn't matter who you are in this room. If you've been born again, you have every one of those things. You say, God hadn't called me. Yes, he has. You just haven't answered. God has a design or a purpose for your life. It may not be a, to be a preacher or a missionary or a pastor or a teacher, but God's got a purpose in your life. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. That's a calling. You're the salt of the earth. That's a calling. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. You're going to talk about me, both here and in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. You have God's call. You have his might and power. You'll never know it until you try it. I've read of, uh, and I've seen um, these, uh, what are called ec um, exoskeletons. People have been in, in bad, tragic car accidents. They've been uh, in spinal injuries, and they cannot walk. They have built, and they first built them for the military, and then they've extended them to uh, medical. And they put on this cage around their legs, and it's got a mechanism around their waist. And they haven't walked maybe in years. And there they are. They set them down on the chair, and they turn the switch on, and then they say, okay, try and stand. And he looks at him and he goes, I can't stand. He says, try. And all of a sudden he goes, zoom. And he's up. He says, now take a walk. I, I don't remember how. Just, just swing yourself, lift up your leg and see if your leg will move. And as he moved, the mechanism in his belt has got a computer on it. Knows he's trying to go forward and let's <laughs> go. And the man who couldn't walk and had never felt that he ever could walk again, he found out he had been given the power to walk. That's an exoskeleton. They have it for military, and they have it for health. Very expensive. But the point is, wouldn't that be great if you could try and serve God and find, whoop, God's there, and he gave you the power to do what he asked you to do. That's what the Christian believes. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. Gideon learned that. Gideon learned that. Three final points. i got to finish up. Believe what God sees in you. Don't believe what modern self-help writers say. You know what, you know what self-help writers say? You're number one. You're a good person. How many times, I, I'll, I'll try it. Somebody said, how you doing? I said, better than I deserve. 
oh, no, 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 don't say that bad about yourself. And I go, I'm not saying anything bad about myself. I'm saying nothing about myself except that I've been blessed better than I deserve. But people think, oh, you're, you're downing yourself. No, I'm upping him. Don't believe what modern self-help writers say. Oh, you're worth it. Just believe what God says about you. Did you know if God says you're forgiven, then you can believe it. You are perfectly forgiven in Christ. When God says he loves you and wants you, you need to believe it and accept it. When God says, and there are too many people. I mean, on, on Friday, I was talking to one guy. He's living on the street. He's 20 years old. He took a New Testament. Took the gospel, needed a witness to him first, then I got to talk to him afterwards. You know what? It just, he just couldn't believe. God loves me. Yeah, right. I've heard that all my life. He didn't believe it. Believe it. When God says you're free to serve God instead of your past and your sin, you can believe it. If God says you can believe yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, then believe it and live, live like you are dead indeed unto sin. When God says in this book you can do whatever God asks of you, you need to believe it and then just start doing it. God seeks to use someone who is just dependent upon him. Secondly, learn to rest in Christ. I don't have time, but after he talks to that angel, verse 22, he does not rush off and go get an army. Look at verse 22. When Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord that had been talking to him because he thought he was dreaming, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, I'm in trouble, for I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Whew. Verse 24, then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it, look at these words, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah is peace. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah in, of the Abbey Israelites. You know what he did? He built an altar. He called it, Jehovah put my heart at peace. I'm no longer afraid of the presence of God. And, and Gideon started remembering the promises of God, and he just sat there for a while, and he worshiped God. Let me tell you, if you're going to go into a fight tomorrow, if you're going into a fight at home today, you need to take some time and just worship God now. We were talking, Gavin, weren't we, yesterday, <clears throat> about how sometimes we get agitated, <clears throat> and we find ourselves on edge, and we find ourselves short. You know what our problem is? We haven't spent time in the presence of God for a while. We let it too go, go too long between times where we've just been on our face and cried out and said, God, there's too much of me. Learn to rest in Christ. You see, your strength is in Him, not in yourself. And if you're stressing out, if you're burning out, if you're wearing out, and you're just mad and angry and just, I want to quit, then you're doing it on yourself. You need to get back to it. Lord, I need you. I'm dependent upon you. I can do nothing without you. And the third, get ready to do what God asks you to do. Remember, I can do all things through Christ. The first question I ask is, what can I do? That's the, the furthest thing from Gideon's mind was doing something for God. But he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, that'll make a great church. Invitation. <clears throat> Our problem today is idolatry. Maybe you're not bowing down to statues and grottos in your home, but probably you are worshiping your friends, your money, your image, <laughs> your sports stars. Everybody's got an image. You know that. Everybody's got an image. Your hairstyle is your image. You know, if you ever combed your hair on the other side, or if you didn't comb your hair, or if you did start to comb your hair, all of a sudden everybody will look at you and go, oh, I got to fix my hair like it was before. 
The problem is we worship sports stars, we worship ourselves, and it's ruining our homes. Instead of worshiping Jesus, we worship everything else. Start asking God, what do you want me to do? Isn't that what Paul prayed when he was Saul of Tarsus on the road to, uh, to Damascus? Falls off his horse, looks up into the sky, and hears a voice from heaven saying, I'm Jesus. And he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's the way to start. What do you want me to do? You probably are obsessed with what you don't have. If I came along and I said to Nathan, Nathan, I need you to preach for me tonight at 6 o'clock. I'm tired. i got to take a break. Nathan would go, I, I, don't, I don't have a message. Uh, I, I can't do it. And I wouldn't understand that kind of stress would, you know, all of a sudden he would run away. <laughs> But when God asks us to do something, don't think about what you don't have. Say, all right, Lord, I've got, I've got eight hours before i got to preach. i got to get ready. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to get what you've been teaching me. I'm going to put it together. I'm just using a bad illustration. But you get what I'm saying. There are things that God, uh, go back over here. There are, um, there are things that God has given you that can make up for all your lack. Where am I? Well, I have something here. I don't know. <clears throat> Quit blaming God and start worshiping Him. Be in awe of Him. Really, I, I love astronomy um, and not astrology, but you ought to go out on a starry night like last night when the, sun, when the moon's not out and just look at the stars and realize the God that made all that loves me. And just, just breathe it in for a minute of, I know him, <laughs> and he notices me. Worship him. And let's see who God raises up among us to do something amazing for his kingdom. Would you bow with me and close your eyes in prayer? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we just touched the hem of the garment, God of Gideon's life. This is not the end. He's, he's going to go through a lot more layers of, of fear going to struggle with a lot of inadequacy. He's going to struggle with confidence and overconfidence. It is going to be a battle so that only you get all the credit from his life. So Lord, when we get the idea that we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us, we need you to really, really bring it very clear down to our level where we understand you want to use us not because we bring anything to the table it's because you need to get all the credit you need to show the kind of God you are you're not here to show what kind of people we are you want to show that you're still the God who loves this world and died for it and wants it Lord if there's one thing that's keeping people from getting saved it's Christians who don't have a right relationship with you don't have a right reflection of you and are not doing the impossible things through you. I pray that our church would be full of people who would from today on. We love you. pray you speak to every heart about how little we trust you and that we would decide to believe you. To really believe. If the Bible says it, we're dead with Christ. We are crucified with Christ. Our old life is dead and gone. Our new life is fresh and, and vibrant and, and it's full and it's powerful. We can do all things through Christ. If we just start believing it, what, what, what couldn't we do? 
We need to turn this world upside down, guys. Coronavirus has done it. The gospel needs to do it now. I pray the gospel works today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.